Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, October 19th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everybody who's joining us here today as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. The book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1 on your phone, and it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll then turn on the microphone and we can have a conversation. 
Alternatively, you can send us an email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get that kind of a question or feedback from you, we'll address it on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that happened so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service, and that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when we know how things are landing for you. Yesterday we finished reading the the book by Diedrich Wolzak titled Six Choose Again, Six Steps to Freedom. And we have plenty of time for comments, questions, and discussions about that book, that work. And how you might apply it in your life or whether or not you see similarities between that and Michael Rice's work. Area code 610. Welcome. Hi, Dr. Tim. (coughs) Hello, Susan. Long time no hear from you. Is that right? Oh, I think I'm on all the time. Okay. Well, I... I well, know you're, on the, you're on the second it. hour, but... <clears throat> oh, okay. I have a question from the Choose Again book. Um, right at the end, you were reading about ways you can misuse knowing the six steps, missteps, he calls it. I have a question <clears throat> about the third one, using the work as a weapon. He says, only when you're truly at peace can you ask that question, that important loving question, tell me how you are feeling. You are believing something that could not be true. What do you think that might be? Well, it's fine, the question, but what he's saying afterwards is um, you can only help another in process to process what's going when, on with when, when you're at you peace. Are, yeah. At peace. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, the concept of the, the wounded healer helps me a lot with that. I think that's an overstatement. I think all of us are trying to heal, but meanwhile, we're helping. We're doing good things with other people. So I just think he, I don't think he's got, got it totally right here. <clears throat> I wondered what you thought. Well, I think, you know, your meaning for those words is critical. So what are you making it mean? How is it that you think it's wrong? He is certainly not saying that you need to be a perfect person before you can help somebody else. But he says you have to be at peace. at, At peace, right, in this moment about this issue. Okay. Right. He's not saying you have to be an enlightened person and never have any upset. 
At least that's the way I'm reading it, right? I'm reading it as though he's saying, listen, if somebody's got something up for them and you're as triggered about it as they are, or you're triggered because you don't think they should be triggered, and and you go to, to, to ask them, you know, so listen. So what are you what are you believing? You know, like uh, maybe you need to go work on your power person issues, or you know, if that's <laughs> happening, right? And, and and there's anything other than absolute calm and peace coming out of you, that's a red yeah. flag. Okay. Well, something similar. I agree with you, and we can work with that. That's good. In the next one, though. Number five, is that the same category he was in? I'm looking back. Yeah. Um, Number five, settling for merely better than before. Well, once again, I do settle for better than before. Uh, He says you deserve to be fully happy. Not not really. Just take a breath here. Okay. You You are still working. Right. You're, you're, you're still doing worksheets. You're still calling the show. You're still asking for clarification about Diedrich Wolzak's work. You're still working. You haven't said, I'm done. I've done my work, and I'm fine. So look at it that way. Right? Don't look at it as though he's saying, you have to be constantly working every hour of every day. Okay, well, I'm I'm still hoping I'm still pretty happy with better than before. <laughs> yeah, you should because it's an improvement, right? And yet, right. when something comes up and you get upset, you take responsibility for it and use the tools. Yeah. And okay. and all he's saying here is if I say I've I've reached that 7 out of 10 level, and so I I can go, you know, take a vacation from the work and I don't have to, I'm all these people and they're stuck at that. They're not happy. They're at a three or a four or a five out of 10 happiness in their life, or they're down at a two or one and they're miserable. You know, mm-hmm. I'm better than them. And I, so I don't need to do my work. That's what he's, right. he's hinting at. If you say I'm done, then it's a slippery slope back down into lower and lower levels of satisfaction and more and more upset in your life. Right, okay. Remember, (laughs) compare this to the idea that he put out there about hacking a path through a rainforest. Right. Well, you've got to maintain the rainforest. Compare this to the idea of mental-emotional hygiene that we talk about. Yeah. Right? We, We wash multiple times a week if not every day we eat you know every day if we're fortunate enough to have the food and and so we keep our body clean and, and we and nourished and we we don't we don't think well I'm I'm done with that I don't need to eat anymore or I don't need to ever shower again so that's the same kind of thing he's pointing at here if you don't take it to an extreme he's pointing at the idea that if I stop my work it's going to backslide because those automatic patterns of thought that Michael Rice talks about, that automatic decision-making process, that egoic thought pattern is so well rehearsed, it's waiting there for me to to go into um, sleep mode. 
and then it will gladly kick up its bus and start generating all kinds of negative thoughts from the negative beliefs that are so well practiced and Does that help take the edge off? It does. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing which I loved that he said is do not underestimate the addictive quality of guilt. Holy mackerel. That's just a good one. <clears throat> yeah, well, we've no talked about it for there. years in this in this work that People talk about, you know, their guilt is good and guilt is going to motivate them to make an improvement. And But I have not observed that. What I've observed is the more people pile on guilt, the more miserable they get until eventually they reach for their drug of choice again. Right. It, it's That's just true. the kind of thing that will push me into the um, the need to escape because, you know, mm-hmm. self-loathing just, is, it, it leads to more negativity. It, it doesn't lead to compassion or love or anything positive. And if you want any evidence of that, just hang out at some 12-step groups. And you'll hear people who've they've had a relapse and they're feeling so guilty and so upset, and then ask them, you know, is this the first time you've ever relapsed? And they'll tell you no. Uh, did you ever mm-hmm. feel guilt before this time? And they'll tell you, oh, yeah, I felt guilt every time I relapsed. Okay, so mm-hmm. if guilt were a solution to motivate yeah. people to do things better, then the more guilty someone felt, the less they would have relapse or backslides or whatever right. you want to call it. But that's not mm-hmm. how it worked. It worked more as this compilation of negativity that eventually has people desperate to escape it especially if they don't have the tools to use to process that negativity in another way. That's good. Now, of course, there's you you can you can look at researchers like Brené Brown and she's got some research about how, you know, a certain amount of guilt in a certain way is productive. Shame is never productive, but guilt can be, etc. And I think if you start parsing it differently, mm-hmm. if you start dis- discussing, okay, what's our actual definition for guilt in this situation or how that would look, you'll find that we're not too far off. Yeah. But if you don't have agreement about the definition of the words you're using, you'll probably think, yep, we're, we're, we're worlds apart. I mean, just like these couple questions that you had about Diedrich Wolzak's situation. Yeah. Yes, you could look at these words and make them mean he's saying you have to be perfect if you're going to help somebody else. Yeah. But it's I don't think he's saying that insane. at all. Yeah. Pardon me? It's, it's more of the same of what I've been doing, I know, but I think probably all, a lot of people do the same. But, yeah, you're right. It's, it's making it an absolute, and then you can't get there, and then where do you go? So you... Right. And any time you, you make something an absolute yourself. like that, you know, just step back and just kind of chuckle and say, oh, look, there's my ego trying to sabotage me. Yeah. 
at least that, right? If I if I do mm-hmm. just just that much and no more, at least I've taken the pressure off and I've taken a step back so now I can reevaluate. If I want to take yeah. it to another level, I can say, okay, what's the specific thing right now that my ego is trying to block me from doing? Maybe there's a, a, a beautiful or an intense piece of work right right here that's coming up for me that I might apply some tools and make progress on. In the very moment when my mind wants me to rail against what Michael Rice is saying or what Diedrich is saying or whatever, in that moment... If I'm feeling tight or tense and I'm feeling all of this negativity, it might be that it's because my ego knows I'm right at the edge of releasing something big. And ego doesn't want those things released. Ego defines itself based on those things. Hmm. God, this is good. I've been watching, just watching, which is such a good thing to do, just watching my mind doing what it does. I loved when Diedrich, on the next page, in the end of this chapter, where can I start? Um, well, I have to, is it okay if I read a little bit to get to the, the nugget? Yeah, that I what, are, are you talking about the heading on frustration, the process, beliefs, return, yeah, or something else? Right. Yeah, at the very bottom, last paragraph of that page, the ego will inevitably seek ways to sabotage your healing unless you remain vigilant with your thoughts at all times. This is the ongoing challenge of the work. The important thing is not to let lapses become another reason to beat yourself up. Okay, we talked about that. And provide evidence for your lack of worth, stupidity, or any other negative belief of your choosing, I use the phrase, oh, honey, whenever my ego acts up and starts telling me what a hopeless case I am, it is an effective way of taking away its power over me. Beliefs can be tenacious little beasties. My belief that I am not supported still kicks in from time to time, or so I have been told by those who lovely love me parenthesis, this is the kicker, or pretend to love me. My ego quickly chimes in. That is it. That is it for me. I, if someone seems to really like me, I have that voice say, well, they're just being nice. Or, you know. They're just pretending. Yeah. They don't really mean it. This is just an ongoing little voice in the head. And another form of that, it's the same sort of thing with Michael who lives with us. Um, if, I am, if I can just allow him to do or not do what he's doing or not doing, just continue to allow it. I have to breathe, I have to watch, and I, I find that I'm afraid if I allow him to just do nothing, for days on end, I, I get anxious about that. Meanwhile, nothing's happening. There's nothing. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where his mind is. I don't observe him because he's in our basement most of the time. And so this is like an ongoing 
there's a little wheel going on in my head, but it's a similar wheel to the, oh, they're just pretending. And I don't know quite how they're connected, but they're connected. It's Overall, I think it's a sense of, if I really believe they like me, I'll be in bad trouble. Or if I really believe I know what I should do with Michael and tell him something, I'll be in trouble. It's a little like keeping an airplane up. If I worry enough about the flight, it won't crash. I'm telling okay, you, I so, don't know so, what this all but, is. But did you say yeah. that that if if I let if I let it in that they like me? Yeah. Oh, I wish I could recover. But you, you said something about you know if I really believe they like me, there's a danger mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Well, there's your next mind shifter. Okay. And that's going to go back, you know, those kinds of things for all of us, they go right back to the earliest years of our lives with whoever our caregivers were. Yeah, okay. I'm getting my pencil out. Okay. Do you have it in your head, Dr. Tim? Well, it's just the idea that it's safe and healing for me to observe, to believe that people actually like me. Mm-hmm. You, you, you said the opposite. You said it's dangerous to believe people like me. Because it's not going to be true. And, you know, this is a piece of me. So much of me knows people like me. I have people who I really think like me, and I, I trust that they do. It's sort of like I pick, there's a woman, I've told you about her, a young singer in my choir. I've got my beams on her. I'm just aware of her. She is, and I'm not alone in this. My my son has said, you know, she never notices me. She never even says, says my name. It's like I'm not on her radar. Tim Bingham has said the same thing about this particular person. She's extremely gifted. She's very nice beautiful voice, good performer, reliable, everything. And I'm one of those people that I think I want her to like me. I want her to say my name. I want her to ask me, you know, about my cat that died. They have pets. They don't have children. She's part of a gay couple and their children are their pets. And I want her, I just watch my mind wanting and giving up the goal of her noticing me and it's almost a source of amusement now. I just think, there, there it is again. I'm sitting here behind her in the alto section, and she's in the soprano section right in front of me, and I'm thinking, I want her to like me so much. Why? Who cares? I wouldn't care if she did, if she did like me. I'd probably just forget about it. That's okay. thing going on here. Oh, but that's, that's this whole thing. It's coming up right now because that's a perfect tie-in to that mind shifter for you. Yeah. Okay. You you and and you just explained it beautifully. You just said if she did like me, I'd be done with it. I'd move on. But it's the people that you want to like you that don't that have you hooked because of the early childhood patterns with that. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't feel safe when they like you, when they say they like you, because 
the other shoe's going to drop and you're going to find out they really don't. And then there's that devastation. That's one part of the matter, right? Yes, it is. But it's with only certain people. Right, absolutely. It's an energy energy resonance thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You're, it's not going to be. Yeah. It's not going to be that way with people that you don't admire. Right. Mm. It might be that. I'll have to look at that. I wonder well, if no, that's no, the did, case. I'm, listen, listen, uh, Susan. I'm not trying to say, oh, I've got this nailed for you. I'm just trying okay. to give you one, one, one aspect, one factor where you can look at it and mm-hmm. say, oh yeah, right. I, I probably don't have it that as much for people that I don't admire, that I'm desperate to have them like me. So you can explore. There will be an energy resonance to the people, and there may be several different factors interweaving together to make it like the perfect person that you set your target on and you won't take the target off until you've won them over. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. once you win them over, you're not interested in it anymore. So there's the other part of the pattern. Once they tell you they true. like you, but once they tell you they like you, but it's what you just said. I know I just said if it, and I don't woman, think it's true. Okay, but <laughs> I'm not saying this is the absolute truth. I'm just saying this is for you to explore. So there will be these parts of this pattern that you can unravel. It's like Michael Rice mm-hmm. with the power person dynamic, right? It's the stuff mm-hmm. that's got me hooked because I don't see it consciously. And whenever it gets resonated in activity from my unconscious, if it's the strongest resonant energy in my system, it will be driving my behavior. Mm. <clears throat> so, so one aspect of it will be certain characteristics in them draw you to them and, and you, mm-hmm. you want them to like you. Another aspect of it will be once they like you, it's not, it doesn't feel safe for you to just rest in that with certain Mm -hmm. people because there's this conclusion you're holding, this negative belief that says it's not going to last. They're going to turn on me. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to get, I'm going to get hurt here. Mm -hmm. And that's just another aspect for you to see more clearly and dismantle because it, it, every time it gets resonated into activity, it's going to drive your behavior. And some of that will come up with that mind shifter if you do it, right? This idea that it's safe for people. It's safe for me to to believe that people really like me. You know that thing Byron Katie said about when I go into a room, I know everyone loves me. They might not know it yet, but they do. I love that. I love that so much that she could say that. Oh, that's the best thing. Well, really, what what you're saying there in in my mind is it's the best thing if she can actually feel that. You can say it, but can you actually feel it? That's the thing. I think she does. She might be able to, yeah, but that's the best thing. Not that she can say it, but that she can feel it. Yeah, believe it, right?
So one of the things that we talked about earlier was you can know when you get tighter tense or we are reading from Dieter Golzak's book and it's good, it's good, you like it, it's good, it's good, and all of a sudden your mind goes, but wait a minute, what they just said there in number three, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, you wait a minute, using the the using the work as a weapon, I can agree with that, but he's saying that I have to be at peace, complete peace, total peace, I've got to be enlightened before I can help somebody. When your mind starts spinning like that, mm-hmm. you can catch it. <laughs> You can feel the tension, okay. you can feel the judgment, you can feel the negativity, and you can step back and just say to your mind, oh, honey, <laughs> that's okay. That is so not in my vocabulary, Dr. Tim. That's going to be a new thing. Like that woman who puts her hand over her heart, sweetheart, honey, you're, feel- you're feeling upset. I think I would so, know Sylvia more Forsen, to say that. Yep. Yeah. What you are, are you are you still saying that you don't put your hand over your heart's face and talk gently to yourself? <laughs> yeah, maybe. That, that, that you still don't do that. Right. After all I this time notice. that we've. No, I. You know what? But not. What. You do it, but you don't feel it. I don't use those words or gestures. I just say, oh, there you are doing it again. Okay, so you've you've gotten to the point where you can step back and identify that it's, there's a silliness there, but you haven't moved into the place of compassion for yourself yet. Is that what you're saying? I guess so. <laughs> it's embarrassing to even answer that question. Well, don't don't generate embarrassment over it needlessly. Because remember, Dr. Michael Rice talks about in his Circle of Life and How to Play It lecture, it's really important to uh, to be honest about where you are. Guy Finley has a whole lecture about this. Or it, it's just such a weight to pretend that you're something yeah. you're not. And if you're, right. you know, basically driven by a very angry, irritable little person inside of you, the only way to start making any progress with that is to admit, I've got this angry, irritable little person inside of me. (laughs) And yes, my mind is trying to convince me that you just put that angry, irritable little person in me. But I know better. Yeah. Mm. But if I can't acknowledge it, if I can't openly admit it, I can't make any progress on it. Okay. So the step of generating embarrassment or humiliation over that is completely unnecessary. Okay. Feel free to start doing some worksheets on dismantling that humiliation or embarrassment that you're not whatever whatever words fit for you, more enlightened or better at this or more loving or whatever. Mm -hmm. Feel free to to do the worksheets to dismantle the embarrassment and the guilt or the shame because it's not productive. If you say you want to reach that, in Michael Rice's lecture, he's got the upper path and the lower path, and you say you want to be on the upper path, you've got to admit when you're below. Oh, it's the same thing they've got in the 
15 commitments of, of um, conscious leadership. They talk about being above the line or below the line. And you've got to be willing to accept and claim, oh, I'm, this is below the line thinking, if I'm going to correct it and get above the line. Or in Michael mm-hmm. Rice's work, take the higher path. I can't just instantly take the higher path if I won't even accept the fact that I've been on this lower path thought process that's taken me to this yeah. guilt, shame, blame, <laughs> upset, anger, whatever. God, that makes sense. You know, you were talking about some of us on the radio show who practice these pseudo-solutions or whatever Peterick called them. Um, can't remember the exact word. Just among the missteps, the misuse of having the tools. Hey, using I it as a hope, weapon against others. Yeah, or spirit, spiritualized ego, any of them, any of them. Or jumping to the, like if somebody's grieving over a lost spouse or something, they say, well, after all, we're all, we're all, uh, we're all one anyway, and or whatever they say. If I just want to ask you, would you please, if any of us does that, you can call us out on it. I'm afraid I probably do those things. Well, I can accept that invitation from you to you. I can't accept it for okay. anybody else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why not? Listen, Larry. I'm Larry. Larry, I'm going to call you on your stuff because Susan Bingham told me I should. <laughs> no. Wouldn't you like to just all on your own? No, I don't want to call people on their stuff unless I'm in an agreement with them that they want to hear from me. Well, isn't that what the radio show's about? We have in made a theory, deal. yes. Yeah, well, I, I, okay. I said I will accept that from you to you. Okay. But I'm not going to take it as a blanket carte blanche that I can just call anybody on their stuff just because you think I should. Okay. Right? I'm, 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 I'm basically I'm calling you to stay focused on yourself because right. that's the only thing any <laughs> of us really have control over. Right? That's the core of this mm-hmm. work. It's all an inside job. And if I can get more and more vigilant about the earliest warning signs of anything less than love active in my internal experience and turn my focus in there to correct that, to see it as false and shebag it, cancel it, unload it, drop it, whatever, <laughs> put it down, then, then my process benefits everybody. But like Diedrich said in this one step that you call, you know, and and you're going to call on is if I'm not at peace, worse yet, I'm pretending to be at peace when I'm not at peace, and I decide I'm going to go help somebody else, it's not going to go well. Yeah. But all of his missteps are, are useful to pay attention to. Yeah. I had somebody in my office earlier today talking about, you know, this this one about uh, I'm innocent. 
And he said, don't ever say that in front of a group of uh, addicts. And I said, oh, interesting you should say that, because here Diedrich points that out specifically as a misstep. Because people say, you know, that he says that they've had more than one person at their center with a substance abuse issue, and after they talk about how everybody's innocent, he says, oh, good, now I can go home and do a line of cocaine without feeling guilty. And Diedrich says, no, no, no. That's a complete mm-hmm. misuse and abuse of the recognition of one's innocence. Yeah. So all of these, all eight of his missteps are useful. And, you know, there might be others. But these are just the eight that he came up with. Yeah. And the last one, of course... Uh, frustration that I'm not done already. Right. Right? That's that's a, a universal mm-hmm. problem for most of us. Why isn't it working faster? Why do I he- keep having to get triggered? Why can't I be done yet? Well, I would like to see how you call me or anybody else who has agreed to be called on using those pseudo-solutions, partly because I don't know how to do that myself. We have one member of our support group who very often kind of hijacks someone's sharing, you know, talking about what they're going through by saying, well, we're not real anyway, or going all the way to the enlightenment and not staying with the person while they find their own way there. Usually I feel very triggered that she does that, which means I probably do it myself, but I haven't known a gentle way to call that out. Did you hear that part in this book with Diedrich where he talks about that? Yeah, I, th- I can't find it right now, but do you have it there? <clears throat> yeah, it's in that little section. Isn't it? Yeah. Maybe I can find it. Um, no, I'm in the wrong section again now. I'm in an afterward. Okay, I'm going backwards. Um. Oh, yeah, well, here it is. In number, number two, two. A, a part of it is in yeah. number two where he says, Beware of the spiritualized ego. And, and yeah. the last paragraph in that says, Please note the seductive quality of the spiritualized ego. It is always justified in its pain and suffering, always right that it is somebody else's doing, and always ready to state that spiritual cliche which says, It's all just an illusion. Right, exactly. That last line is really important to intercept because if you're upset in any way at all, that is not an illusion to you at that time. It's real to you. Unless you do your work to own the upset and process it, you merely join the multitude of spiritualized egos that march in lockstep to the tune of, Mm -hmm. quote, it's not real, it doesn't matter. 
close quotes. Yeah. And that's right. not a good crowd to hang out with, he says. Now, this is <laughs> th- 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 this comes right to the very first step of the six-step process. Do you remember what that is? Yeah, it's me. I'm upset. I no, have that's, this. That's, that's, and then, that's step that's two. That's the second one. Yeah. Step two is, is it's me. The first step is it's, I'm upset. Any I'm upset. little upset, yes. I want to grab a hold of it. I'm not going to say, oh, it's no mm-hmm. big deal. Yeah. Because the slightest irritation is connected to the deepest rage. Oh, boy. And that's what he's bringing out here. If I'm upset mm-hmm. in this moment, it feels very real to me. It's not an illusion yes. to me at that time. And unless yeah. I do the work to figure out what's in my mind-body energy system, whether it's a trauma energy or an old belief or a negative thought pattern, and work to see what it's connected to and correct the false nature of it, see the truth, of, unless I do that work experientially, I'm marching in lockstep with these people that are in denial. Mm. that think they're farther along. They've got that spiritualized ego thing going. And they think they're more Mm -hmm. um, loving and spiritual and connected to the truth than they actually are. Yeah. Oh, boy. You're opening another whole can of worms, Dr. Tim. I don't need to talk about it right now. (laughs) What? How did I do that? Tell me what I do. You just said what you said. That's all. You're perfectly innocent. You're just being yes, a good. And what teacher. is the can of worms you th- and you think got opened? Being regularly triggered by our housemate because he knows the answers to everything and tries to teach, particularly me, because we talk more than Tim and he do. Um, solutions for everything. Uh, advice for me on issues might be good advice, but I don't want to hear it from him. Great. Okay. That reminds me of Guy Finley talking about how, you know, I'm on the floor in the bathroom crying my eyes out about what Mm -hmm. a wreck my life is. Mm -hmm. And then a friend calls and they have a problem and I turn into the shell answer man about what they need to do to correct the problems in their life. That's exactly that's exactly what keeps happening. I have to do a lot of breathing and, and tell them, I, you know, I want to keep an active, present, conscious, loving state and see the highest and best. So I'm lecturing myself quietly and breathing and saying, thanks for that advice. It's excellent advice, and it is. But I'm... What I want to say is something like my mother would say to me, who the hell do you think you are? Look at you. Well, you don't, ex- you don't exactly have to say that, but I just flashed on the thought of, of the story about Gandhi 
and the mother uh-huh. that walked for days to bring her son to Gandhi so that she, Gandhi could tell him, this great spiritual teacher could tell him to stop eating sugar. And they waited in line, uh-huh. and they waited for their audience, and then they get there, and and he says, okay, why are you coming in? And she says, I want you to tell my son to stop eating sugar. And he said, okay, you know, come back whenever, a week, a month, or whatever. And and they left all disappointed. And then they make the journey back a month later. And he, she says, here's a story, and I want you to tell my son to stop eating sugar. And he says to the son, stop eating sugar. And she says, why didn't you just tell him that when you were here a month ago? And Gandhi said, well, because I was still eating sugar <laughs> a month ago. Right? Uh-huh. I have to be able to. I have to be able to live by example if I'm going to teach anything. Uh-huh. I don't teach anything except by example. That's a beautiful example, and it's funny too. <clears throat> well, it just right. it's just another way to talk about the actuality that I don't teach except by example. Mm-hmm. I can yammer yeah. about a lot of things, but I'm not mm-hmm. actually teaching anybody anything unless I'm living it. Mm-hmm. And when I live it, whether I realize it or not, I'm teaching. This is one of those... For me, it was one of the very powerful things in the way of mastery where it talks about we are always teaching, sharing with the world around us what we think is important. Mm-hmm. It's what we say, it's what we do that communicates to everybody, whether we like it or not, about what we truly value. Because as he talks about in The Way of Mastery, this thing that you call a body, this energy system you call a body, is just a communication device. He says a very temporary communication device. It's always being used to communicate what you believe and what you value, whether you realize it or not. Mm -hmm. And that is the only way you teach anything. So... It says over and over again in Way of Mastery, teach only love. Well, that sounds interesting. What does that mean? Well, it got a little, a little further on, a little bit in other places, it says, share only your loving thoughts. Now, that's stated in a way very clearly to indicate there's an understanding that you're not just going to have loving thoughts. You're going to have all kinds of thoughts. Mm -hmm. It talks about it because we're all connected. You can have all kinds of thoughts float through your mind. You don't even know where they come from. They don't even have Mm -hmm. to come from your family pattern, inherited cross-generational bloodline energetic stuff. Because all minds are joined. So what does it mean to teach only love? It means that even though you will have thoughts that are less than love, you choose to share only your loving thoughts. You amplify and extend only your true nature. Mm -hmm. 
That's very forgiving. How so? The acknowledgement that we have other thoughts than loving thoughts. Just, I like that he said that. Because it's true for me and probably true for everybody. It's taking the and, whole person into the picture. Yeah, and it's saying, look, um, you've got this gift of, you know, autonomy and, and uh, choice of what you focus your mind energy on. So choose to focus on the loving thoughts. Choose to share only the loving thoughts. Choose to use the tool of forgiveness, which means to dismantle any perception that leads you to a negative thought and move on. Right then, and now you're in the process of creating consciously in a positive mm-hmm. way. Mm. This whole, you know, the, the set of tools, whether it's Byron Katie or. Guy Finley or Michael Rice or Diedrich Wolzak, there are so many of them. That when Jeannie was saying yesterday or the day before, maybe both days, that she's the, you know, started um, reading the uh, Educari Unlearning Insights and saying, oh look, this mm-hmm. is almost exactly the same as what we teach here. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And at least to my eye and ear, these things are, or I wouldn't bring them onto this internet show. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, yeah, you can look for differences, but as I've said so often, I find it far more beneficial for me to look for the similarities. And as you know, I, I've said this many times in the first four hour, why is this happening to me again? CD set that I had of Michael Rice that was given to me years ago. He talks about how, you know what, we're going to understand these things more quickly and at deeper and deeper levels if we come at them, if we hear them from slightly different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you hear Guy Finley say something that's almost exactly the same as what Dale Allen Hoffman says or Byron Katie says and Michael Rice says and then you compare them and you say well it seems to be you know oh this is wrong well notice the tension in your body when you say oh this is wrong or they they said that wrong mm-hmm. take that breath that calming breath turn the focus inside soften dismantle the tension and the judgment and then look again mm. And I find it even more beneficial than just looking again. I look again through the filter of how might I see a similarity? Mm. And then it's these, you know, it's like tilling the soil so that the seeds can go deeper and the roots can go deeper. Guy Finley has this extended story he tells about these families and they go to this new kingdom and they say we're going to be out here and live on the land and and they find a piece of property and the next door neighbor has this gorgeous crop growing and so he sets to work and he tills the soil and he 
plants and and he gets next to nothing he gets this this you know sickly looking crop mm-hmm. so finally you know he puts his pride aside and and goes to his neighbor and asks for help and says you know what what's happening how how is it that you know i i tried to plant the same kind of seed you did and blah 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 and the neighbor said well you know what um uh, the only thing I can think is that you may not have tilled the soil deep enough. He goes, oh, yeah, I have blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, well, but here, on this area of land, there is a bedrock just, you know, X number of inches down, and you've got to break that up or the roots don't have any place to grow. So the seed can germinate and the roots can start, but they can't go deep enough. So you've got to till you know, uh, two or three feet down and turn the soil. and It's the story of our lives, right? I can't just hear a nice idea. Mm. I have to fill the soil of me. I've got to chip away at my beliefs and my rigidities. I've got to look for the tightness and tension that comes up in me and trace it down to its false beliefs and see them as false and breathe and soften until I can see very easily and clearly my true nature as love. And I can I can easily put my hand over my heart space and genuinely speak lovingly to myself. Timmy, sweetheart, you're in pain. Take a few deep breaths. Slow this whole process down. Look at what's going on. See it more clearly from that calm position. Then we can decide what to do. But, oh, sweetheart, you're in pain. If you're in tension or pain, it means your perception is off the mark. Mm. It means you're either looking at the, the wrong few bits of data out of 20 trillion bits hitting your senses in this moment. Or you're looking at the right few bits of data, but you've interpreted it through the lens of your trauma and your pain and your negative beliefs about yourself. So choose again, as Diedrich Wolzak would say. Take a breath and soften and actually step into that compassionate space for yourself. And that is possible never, even that is even possible when, even what even when words like that were not used in your family it's not those yes. aren't words it is okay. possible absolutely just like it's possible for you to learn anything else this is a learning process and if you are willing feels, to learn it, you you will one day wake up and realize that there has never been nor will there ever be a person who's more deserving of your own compassion than you. The, I understand what you're saying, and I can imagine having what you just said be true but the words are they're really too wonderful yeah 
They're so sweet. What do you mean they're too wonderful? Keep breathing. Well, it seems unproductive to say I can't have them. What do you mean, I can't have them? They're not my words, they're... They belong to other people. Okay. And that's where the learning process comes in. Mm -hmm. This is the idea of, can I learn? And the answer is yes. Do I have it now? No. Am I there already? No. Can I learn? Yes. Can I actively explore what are these negative beliefs that are hidden in my unconscious that get activated from time to time? Yes, that's the point of Diedrich's work. That's the point of Michael Rice's worksheet. The point of it is not everybody's done already. The point is there's work Mm. to do. You've heard Michael say that over and over and over again. Mm. And so it is entirely possible that with continued vigilance and effort and application of the tools to dismantle the false beliefs that are buried, you can get to the point where you can see effortlessly and clearly the truth of the statement. You live into the truth of the statement that there has never been, nor will there ever be a human being more worthy of compassion than Susan Bingham. And that's not an well, intellectual I... exercise. That's that's the the truth that will become real when you remove all the falseness, every false belief and every trauma energy. That'll just be like another breath. And you said earlier mm. you can imagine what that would be like, and I'm here to tell you you cannot imagine it. That's your ego trying to tell you you can imagine it. We can't ever imagine it until it happens. We have to live into it. And these great teachings are telling us that the the life, the energy, the experience, the bliss states that we can live into go way beyond anything we can conjure up with our egoic mind. And that's why Michael and people like him... Cedric and Guy Finley just encourage us just keep using the tools. Just remain vigilant. <clears throat> just realize you're worth it. You're worth the effort it takes to maintain that vigilance and that work. 
So I just looked at the clock and realized we're out of time for our first hour, so I will thank you for your participation, and as always, it's delightful to hear from you. And I'll mute you so you can listen to the second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Excellent conversation, Susan. Thank you. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. Today is Thursday, October the 19th, 2023, and our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue. Your hand goes up, and we know you want to talk instead of that you're just out there listening. And we're glad that you're out there listening. But it definitely helps uh, direct uh, what direction the show is going to go uh, when you ask the questions. And so we'd love to hear from you. We'd like to take the show in the direction that would support you. We'll give Michael a moment to dial in. And uh, we, a reminder, we will not have the uh, book club next week. Uh, Yinka's off with her kids. But this coming Saturday, is our Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing. For those of you who are part of that, uh, we will be sending out a new Mind Shifters list. And if you're interested in being part of that, please get in touch with me or Michael. Uh, if you have our phone numbers, call us, or my email is Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org. And let us know that you would like to register and be part of that. And we will send you the information, the Zoom link, how to angle your camera so that we can see you uh, when you're laying down breathing and all of the information that you need for that. So if you're interested, please let us know. Welcome, Michael. Hello, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. I'll be here. Just took a second to get the right screen up so I could undo the mute button. And so welcome, everybody. Once again, we're just delighted to get to, uh, to carry on this conversation to bring a different energy to the world than what most of the world is being governed by and to move in the direction of really fully functioning as human beings here in the world. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. Someone yesterday, they were talking about how as they've been doing their work, how marvelous the world has become, how something just as simple as a sky is, uh, is something to, uh, to have joy over. And, of course, that's projection. To think that a sky could cause me joy is just silly. But if there's joy in me, a sky can bring it up, or a flower, or a child, or and if there's hostility or fear in me, a sky, a flower, a child can bring it up. You know, oftentimes people will say, well, I, I look at that newborn infant and I, I feel so good. Like the, the infant's responsible for their feelings. No, what's responsible for the feelings are the thoughts that they have hooked up to their brain's image of an infant. They look at their former spouse. They have thoughts of hostility and raging. So they look at them and they say, oh, I just feel awful when I look at them or think of them as though looking at them or thinking of them can cause anything inside of you. If looking at your former spouse 
or your present spouse or your children or anything or anybody, quote, unquote, makes you feel some sort of turmoil or pain or upset or disturbance or trauma, stop lying to yourself. It doesn't make you feel anything. What makes you feel are the thoughts that are resonated, the thoughts that are linked to that person, place, object, circumstance, or activity. Once you wake up to that, then you realize that every time your physiology is producing some form of hostility or fear, it's your next piece of work. It's your next opportunity. And so to realize that that's what the game is really all about, living as a human being, living out of the active presence of conscious, active, present love, and every thought disorder, that is any thought based in hostility or fear, because by definitions, based in hostility or fear are corrupt data. Anything that is tagged in the mind with hostility or fear is tagged with hostility or fear because the data, the thought disorders keyed into that object of attention are corrupted. You know, it's like if you've ever had it happen, you're working on a file and, gee, you didn't save it, and all of a sudden you try to open that file and it comes up with a message corrupt. And you can't open that file. It's useless to you. Well, the world has found a way to make use of hostility and fear, but it is useless to a human being. Hostility and fear are absolutely, totally, completely useless to an actual human being. To one who lives out of a false image of self, a false picture in the mind of who one believes oneself to be, oh, you can attach all kinds of rage and guilt and grief and pain and trauma and trauma to that. And by definition, one who's doing that is insane. You say, well, Michael, most of the world is doing that. Yeah, that's right. Most of the world is pretty bizarre and pretty insane. So let's wake up to who we are as human beings and bring love present to the mind. You know, you look in the, uh, the ancient scriptures and they talk repeatedly about the mind of man. And we talk about carbon-based memory. The instrument of the mind of man is the human brain. And you'll note that oftentimes we'll, it sounds kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I'm really serious. In order to heal, you've got to be out of your mind. Here you can go back to a particular situation where Yeshua comes out of the Garden of Gethsemane and there's Peter with his sword ready to attack. He informs him that if he lives by the sword, and, and it's not just the literal sword, if your sword is your mouth, or your looks, the way you look at people, if that's what you're pointing at someone else, that's you, you, you get the original, they get the carbon copy. So in that circumstance, Yeshua literally calls Peter Satan. Now, most of the world's been conned into thinking that Satan is this dude with a red suit, it's veiled on pitchfork. That is one of the basic tenets of the one world religion of blame. 
Ha, Satan made me do it. It's out there. In Aramaic, the word Satan means the deceiver, one who misleads. In this particular passage, where Yeshua addresses Peter as Satan, and he says this, Get thee behind me, Satan. For you think in the mind of man rather than the plan of the creator. In other words, you're stuck in carbon-based memory. You're stuck in this instrument, the brain, hallucinating all sorts of things about its hostility and fear-based content and destroying your ability to conceive of the world that the creator created for you. So you think in the mind of man, carbon-based memory. Now look at carbon-based memory. What is that? Well, if you hauled your carcass into a uh, uh, facility, a lab, that broke down the components of your carcass, you said, tell me what's the most common element in this thing. And they'll tell you that its base element is carbon. Now you might... Remember, there's a number to this thing in the, that they called Satan. And you might recognize there's a number to the carbon atom. What is it? Six, six, six. Six electrons, six protons, six neutrons. Carbon-based memory stores corrupt data from the past, uses it to produce pictures in the mind of man. Again, watch the video. Go to YouTube and type in Anil, A-N-I-L-S-E-T-H, Anil Seth, TED Talk, and watch it. And he'll prove to you that everything that you think you see with your eyes, you do not see with your eyes, you see with your brain. And the pictures that your brain generates are kind of painted on the inside of your eyeballs. And being that they're on the inside of your eyeballs, you think you're looking out through your eyeballs at what's out there. And that's fraud. And you'll notice when people are in upset or disturbance and someone comes along and invites them to actually be accountable for their pain, accountable for what they're doing to themselves, actually invites them to be responsible for what's going on inside of them, you'll notice that what virtually everyone does is go, no, no, that's not true. That's called resistance. And then one who misleads. What's the next thing people do when they tell you that it's not them? They've got a whole story about how what's going on in their lives is somebody else's fault. And if you listen to them, they'd be able to tell you the story about how it was their fault when they were, you know, 10 years of age in school. And then they could tell you how it was that girlfriend or boyfriend's fault when they were 17. And then they can tell you about how it was the boss's fault when they were 20. And they can tell you about how it was the spouse's fault when they were 25. And they can tell you, and they can tell you, they got a whole lineup for their whole lives. And the conversation's all about somebody else. Unless they're in their one-world religion of blame game towards themselves. And then, of course, the story will be about themselves. It'll still be blame. By the way, in Aramaic, you are your own neighbor. The true being that you are has a neighbor, and the neighbor is the false self. The self that Yeshua said, in order for you to live, you've got to die. The false self has got to go. We need to remove the false self, and that's what forgiveness does, and that's why most people resist forgiveness, because they like that self. They think that self is a winner. 
pain and its drama and its trauma and its victimhood. Oh, they'll tell you how terrible it is when you want and, and how they want to get rid of it. But then when you say, okay, here's the exact formula for getting rid of it, guess what they do? They don't do anything about it. You know, when Jeannie and I were traveling, we do, let's say we do a workshop, and why is this happening to me again workshop, and there'd be a 100 people there. And at the end of the week, or pardon me, at the end of the why is this happening to me again workshop, which is one we always did the first day, I would invite people to do, you know, people would be very excited about, wow, this really, this is pretty cool. You know, it was all fresh and it was firing in brain cells, so they had a comprehension. And went, wow, this is great. I'm going to do this. And I suggest to them they do five worksheets a day for the next 40 days. And who, you know, if you're out there and you're at one of those workshops and you said, yeah, I'm going to do that five worksheets a day, push one and tell us whether you actually did those five worksheets a day or did you go into resistance. Anyway, so we start out, we've got 100 people. Usually by Thursday, we'd have maybe 130 or 140 people in that audience. And I'd ask, how many have been doing your five worksheets a day? I'd be really happy if three people put their hand up because that would be about it. I'd say four worksheets, maybe one person. Three, maybe two more people. Two, maybe four people. One, maybe another five total of 10 to 15 people out of 100 actually even did one worksheet after that workshop. Why? Because to forgive is to dismantle the false self. And if you think that's who you are, well, who wants to let that go? But guess what? If the false self is capable of some form of hostility or fear, it is a false self. It isn't who you are. The truth of who you are, if you ever held a newborn child and tapped into the essence of that newborn child, it's really clear that that newborn child is love. So rather than when I look at that child, they make me feel so good. When I look at that child, it's much more accurate to say, wow, what they resonated in me is all kinds of thoughts of sweetness and bliss and happiness and joy and love. How? Oh. And then I say, well, is that child loving you? Well, no, that child is love. Now we're talking about a human life. If love is not conscious, active, and present in you, you don't have a human life. The idea of this work is to regain it. But there's a self made of hostility or fear that's been running the show for most people. And he's a tough one. It's interesting if you look through the uh, indigenous cultures around the world, they all had a trickster of some kind, a wily coyote. And that, that's the symbol of this ego self, this non-being self. You look at you know, the definition in the ancient scriptures of the creator is love. E-G-O, edging God, edging love out, is what this non-being self does. And the instrument of it is the brain. That's why when we do still point breathing, as we're going to do on Saturday, we'll be asking people to breathe through their mouths rather than their noses. When you breathe through your nose, there are all kinds of passageways that are oxygen travels through and boom, keeps the brain firing. And the still point breathing process 
We want you to be out of your mind. We want to just let that thing go. And then recognize that there is another mind in you that is based in love. It is literally the creator's mind, and it's your birthright to function out of that mind. And that mind is an expression of who you are as a human being. The Battle of Armageddon is not about some battle that's going to happen out there in the Middle East. The Battle of Armageddon is the battle between being and non-being. The battleground is the body. And the more the battle goes on, the more the resistance to truth happens, the more battered one becomes physiologically, and the more aches and pains, traumas and traumas they have, diseases. Death, death and suffering. So the objective here is to allow yourself the space to open to conscious act of present love. Excuse me. I couldn't get to the mute button fast enough. I apologize for sneezing in your ear. So to bring forward the direct experience of conscious active present love and have the mind that reflects the false self, the ego, get still and quiet. That's one of the reasons why it's called still point breathing because there's a point in the process where the breath spontaneously stops and everything inside is quiet. You remember there was an admonition in the ancient scriptures be still and know. That's the point at which you have the direct experience. And if you hadn't had that yet, come play and be part of the workshop. It's an awesome tool to learn to use and to develop the skill of cleaning out what's in carbon-based memory, removing the hostility, the fear, the grief, the rage, the trauma, and the trauma. So in essence, that's what we are here to do. And it's a delight to have you be part of the conversation. If you're out there in listener land and you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our call-in number is 563-999-3581-563. 9993581 If you call that number you'll be listening to the show directly and then if you push 1 that will raise a hand in the control panel and you and I will be having a conversation So Miss Jeannie do we have anybody out there in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room It is quiet in both places one thing that um, came to my mind as you were talking there when you were talking about, you know, the flowers or whatever, bringing up joy right. for you. Perhaps explain how you could do a worksheet on the good things because I've t- I tell people all the time, you know, it's, the worksheets are not just for 
getting rid of your anger, fear, sadness, or whatever, but also you can use the worksheets if you think something outside of you makes you happy or joyful or whatever. Yes. Oh, Susan said she pressed one. I thought her hand was still up from Tim, so let me turn her microphone on. Well, let's say hello to the young lady. Hello, Miss Susan. Hey there, welcome. Hello, guys. Hi. This shouldn't take long unless you want to explain because I was going to ask, I printed out what you put on Facebook, Michael. And I uh-huh. wondered, you were pretty energized yesterday. Um, I wondered if you've had any feedback. Because it's basically you, you gave the best of your best teachings in there. Have not had any feedback on it. Whoa. You Not seemed yet. a little worried about whether it was the right thing to do. Anyway, well, it not, seems... Not, yeah, for me, it wasn't so much a uh, worry about whether it was the right thing to do. I knew it was the right thing to do. It was whether or not I want to take the flack from people who are going to go, oh, you're blaming the victim oh. and, you know, that whole game. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Gotcha. All right. And I breathed and let go of that one and went ahead and did it. And I'm actually, I will send you a copy when I get finished with it. I don't know, it might be a day or two or three or ten. I'm actually going through it now and refining it and adding some other key concepts to it. Okay. And a couple of people had requested that that be put on the website, too, just in case Facebook took it down. So when Michael gets it edited, he's going to send it to me, and I'll put it out on on their website. Oh, good. So what about it in particular struck you, Susan? It's well, it's it's the teachings about forgiveness, Aramaic forgiveness. You you don't push any religion at all, thank goodness. I mean, you wouldn't, but it is a corrective document. It's if we really pay attention to it it could make a huge difference. And you give examples and you give links. Um, it's, it's a treasure trove, really. Well, it's actually, it, it is along the lines of a topic I, I actually, a few years ago, considered writing another book entitled, Would the Real Yeshua, Would the Real Jesus Christ Please Stand Up? Because the one most of the world is looking at is a fake. The one most of the world is thinking, oh, you can fix it for me, rather than thank you for giving me the tools to fix it. You know, it's it's, uh, the, the fake Yeshua is the object of unrealistic expectations and so anyway I've considered writing that as doing that as a title of a book and that would be it would be the essence of it would be that article would the real Yeshua please stand up because Mm. he's I mean he's right in your face you got to do your work it's it's your responsibility and right when when you realize you know you look at that passage I love to refer to where there are a number of disciples there and they ask him, what do we need to do to make the creator happy? And 
he tells them they have to, in essence, he tells them you have to do their work. And, and half of his disciples say, too hard to say, and they turn and leave. And they go off and make up a theology of Jesus saves. You know, that yeah. it's all up to him. He's going to fix it for you rather than, hey, I gave you the tools. Here it is. Here, you have to do it. You have to right. do whatever it takes to return to the presence of active love. And I think that's kind of you know where that passage where Paul talks about, if I have not love, I am as a tingling symbol. You know, I am nothing because mm. we are nothing if we're not human. You know, the false self is nothing. It's no different than a, a, a program in a computer. That's why when people experience clinical death, it's like pulling the plug on a computer. The computer shuts down. Carbon-based memory has gone. And if that person who experienced clinical death gets resuscitated, they've had a taste of their own human lives, and they bring that back with them. changes everything. Mm. Yeah. Well, to me, the work of Yeshua is to have the exact same result as the near-life experience, which the world calls a near-death experience, but not having to take the risk of going through clinical death, but to do your work clean up your mind and and really truly experience yourself like make a space quiet this brain's mind to the point where it can no longer convince you that your whatever your message your power person gave you about your particular style of brokenness to let go of that long enough to actually directly experience who you are as the presence of love you know, this leads right into a question I've always had about being, and I'm a church-going person who says the creed reluctantly every week, but the idea that we are so bad that Jesus, God had to sacrifice his son for us because we're that bad, it sets up a dynamic of never believing in ourselves, a dynamic of perpetual, irredeemable guilt. And this would do away with all that. If and that would do away with the control. That would do away yeah. the, with the control that most of churchianity attempts to maintain over people's lives. Yeah. <clears throat> and... To me, a structure such as a church can be every bit as successful and empowering if they just honor who people are and support them being literally what they are, and that is the offspring of love, the offspring of the creator. Mm -hmm. I think many ministers understand that, and churches do there are churches that teach that absolutely, and do all kinds of wonderful things, but the underlying, gosh, it goes all the way back to Adam. Adam preceded the law, and yet he took the apple, and God was so angry that all of humanity for all time until Jesus was guilty, and yet they put in the law, and then Paul says, I know I'm going off, but then Paul says the law makes 
sin possible because then there's the law, and if you don't follow the law, you you sin by breaking the law. So before the law, there was no sin, but then how come God was so mad that Adam took the apple? I don't know if that made any sense. But it made perfect so sense. That's the whole, that's the theology of most churches, and that's where mm-hmm. their power lies, and it's a total fraud. You think love was mad about something? Like, yeah. if, if you buy that one, I'll, then, you know, the rest of the story, well, you, I guess you could, the people would fall for anything. So the absolute pure presence of love, love beyond our comprehension, can get mad at us. And, you know, again, remember when the one world religion of blame, universal religion of blame began, was in the Garden of Eden, and Adam explained to God how it was all God's fault because of that woman. So now we've got, Adam's got God and the woman (laughs) to blame. So who Mm -hmm. do you suppose... When Adam engaged in hostility and fear and broke his connection to active present love and therefore experienced pain, what do you suppose his next thought was? Got to have somebody to blame. blame. Oh, God was so peeved that he threw me out of the garden. And from there right. comes and the whole theology the of most of church. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he, yeah, well, I mean, it was just on it goes. <laughs> yeah. So God help us. Yes, really. men who are filled with rage believe there's a God filled with rage. And there are all kinds of stories that have been told about that God, that hallucination in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so I, you, know, you know, it's all a subject of forgiveness, to be forgiven. Mm. All of that garbage. The only thing I could say about this thing you wrote on Facebook is it's so long that those of us who scroll through fast won't read it. I wish there were a way that it could be presented, maybe it's not possible, in, in a small, concise, absolutely mind-blowing way that would catch everybody's attention and they couldn't help but read the whole thing. Or well, if it were in chapters, like a book. Yeah, right. Just a nugget. Stay tuned. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tall assignment. So let me see. So let me see. We have tens of thousands of years. Well, let's just say in the more traditional, we have thousands of years of blaming everybody else and being lost in generational patterns of rage and murder and slaughter and war and trauma and trauma. And we should be able to answer that whole question in five minutes or less. Mm-hmm. Well, or, or at least provide a hook. Like Jeannie said, how about in chapters, a hook that is so tantalizing that we've got to read the next one. <laughs> I don't know, Michael. I don't, I'm not really even, I don't know how you could do that. But you give so much, and I'm afraid, I mean, if I didn't know you, I wouldn't have read it. 
because I would have scrolled down and seen how long it was and say, oh, that isn't what Facebook is for. I'm, I'm not going to do this. I hate to tell you, but that's my... That's yeah. my no, that's a, oh, no, I understand it. That's exactly what I said at the beginning when I said, we do a workshop, there are 100 people. I'll be really happy if two people have done their five right. worksheets a day by Thursday. Mm-hmm. Who wants to step in right. and face what needs to be faced? Nobody. So we do a radio show, and hopefully people hang around long enough to build the brain cells so that they'll go, oh, I'm willing and I'm ready to move and look deeper. Well, you sure had a hook at the beginning. There's a violent psychosis going on in the Republican MAGA world. You know, you, you really, that's an invitation, but it also might send people screaming for the hills, too, because they're not ready to hear that right off the bat. I think you're right. Okay. I think you're looking at a different post than the one that we were talking about around what's happening in the Middle East. Really? Okay. Yeah. So look for the one that starts out with um, with the middle. It has a uh, a title. You know, there's a picture and a page of what's going on in uh, Israel and and uh, Palestine. Okay. Different different article. Oh, sorry then. My apologies. Oh, that's okay. I mean, they're they're parallel articles. They're basically saying the same thing, just uh, for a different audience. I'm just opening okay, it I'm... now. Yeah, I'm. I see something, M. Joyce Gustafson, then Sophie M. Joyce. This doesn't look like the right thing, even though you're... No, there are at least a dozen or more posts in front of it. Oh, okay. Uh, It starts out with the, the first words in are Job 325. That which I feared most has come upon me. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. A family, Whoa, many good. families wiped out again. And as in this case, right. each says, we really don't understand why this is happening to us. And that's oh, a good. picture of a family. And they're asking okay. the question, why does this happen to us? Their family in Israel has been murdered. They're missing two girls and a gentleman's wife has been murdered. Oh. Well, I'm somehow looking at the wrong thing then. Um, <clears throat> okay, look down about maybe 15 posts from the top. And the uh, the picture, uh, you can scroll down and see it pretty quickly. The picture is of a, a young girl and a woman. They look like they're sitting in a car. And again, it's, it's also a, a long piece. But yeah, there's a, a woman in a green, light green shirt and a child in a blue top sitting in a car with their seatbelts on. And then the right-hand side of the picture, it says the telegraph. And it's from the an article from a newspaper in the UK. These folks were British. I said they were American, but they were British. It. 
I got it. Okay. My we apologies, don't know what Michael. they did to our girls. Oh, no, no apology needed. Same conversation, just yeah. a different audience. So, so it would right. be cool to have your feedback on that one and how it fits. All right. Well, I'm going to copy it into my notes and then print it. There, I've done that. Cool. Much. Okay, printing. Yeah. And then That's when I'm I finished it, I'm going to send it to you. And then when I'm finished, I'm going to send right. it to you, and you can edit it so that it goes zoom right where you want it to go. <laughs> well, that might not be necessary, but okay. No, when someone when someone comes to Hartley and has a suggestion about doing something, you say, "Great, okay, go for it." Yeah, right. I get it. I've stuck my neck out. All right. So oh, if you have a vision for that, I'd be good. delighted to have that support. <laughs> All right. You've got it. Cool. Sweet. Did you listen to that piece of music that I sent you on? Oh, gorgeous. You can relax Absolutely now? Absolutely beautiful. I sent it to that Jacob. That awesome piece of music? He hasn't. It is beautiful. I sent it to Jacob because he's wired very tight. He worries about everything in the world and goes on these rants, which is part of being, as he calls it, neurodivergent. He's a little bit on the spectrum. I'd call it sympathetic dominant. Okay, got it. But I can intercept him. I could say, Boone, you're you're on your rant, and I haven't disagreed with anything you've said, but I want to ask you a question. And you say, okay. And I'll ask him a question about his cat. And he's off in a whole other direction. And then from there, we can have a regular dialogue. But if he gets on one of those rants, it's like getting on a, a car Hard with no brakes. With <laughs> yeah. Right. And so he's, this song is perfect for him because he, I think he does that because he doesn't feel safe. That's exactly what sympathetic dominance is. Yep. Fight, flight. Okay. Fright, fear, or fawning? Oh, yeah. You know, when the fight doesn't work, and then shift into, oh, okay, what can I do? Anything, anything, anything to make you happy, anything to please you, what do I need to do? And that's the fawning aspect of sympathetic dominance. Yep. And it has a monumental impact on physiology, on blood flow, where blood goes, what happens to digestion, brain function, you know, mm. lung function, everything. It changes everything. Have I sent you the uh, the video of the uh, presentation I did for the medical community through Avison on sympathetic, parasympathetic? I'm sure you have, you have and it? I haven't watched it. No, I haven't. Okay, I haven't I'll separate it. out that link and send it. It's about twenty minutes, twenty-three minutes, I think. Okay. But it'll All right. it'll speak on a whole in a whole other way to you. I think it'll be an important mm-hmm. okay. set of brain cells to build. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> well, any other thoughts? I know that Doug was there yesterday, and he was asking for your phone number. Have you heard from Doug? I was supposed to call him. Jeannie sent me his number, and I haven't. I just. I want to give it a block of time, and the blocks of time are few and far right. between. I've got a sister having a brain operation today. So, in fact, she went in at 6 in the morning, and this hmm. is an older sister who's 
went in with the most wonderful attitude. She says, I'm fine. I trust the doctors. Whatever happens, even if I don't live, I am fine with it. She's very peaceful. And she's holding this space seven with years. Her. Thank you. Her name is Elizabeth Alkaide, and she was a uni- unity, Unitarian minister for many years. And mm. she's a true, true mystic. She listened to the radio show for several years early on and used to call me afterwards and say, wow, what a discussion that was. And, <laughs> but she has stopped. I think it's partly that she's just been extremely tired with this. She had a benign tumor 45 years ago and mm. had a had the tumor taken out, and it was in her speech center, and so they were amazed that she could talk. But she's never lost her speech. So they put in a plate to cover where the wound, you know, the skull piece had to be taken out. Right. Now that she's 86 or 7 years old, the, the plate was vinyl, and it deteriorated and she started oozing and doing all kinds of things and it took months before the doctors could schedule her. She should have gone to the emergency room. When they finally saw her, they said, oh my God, it's a wonder you're alive. And Quick, get up there on the operating table and they said, we can fix this. You don't have to die of an infection of the brain. You don't have to die. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Go for it then. (laughs) So she's Ah, I love it. She's she's on there. So I'm very hopeful for her one way or another. But anyway, I haven't talked to Doug. That's a roundabout excuse. Okay. Well, join you in holding the space for her for whatever her chosen outcome is and peace in the family system with whatever her chosen outcome is. And Jeannie, is Doug there? Doug, are you out there? Do you want to push one and... He is, and I will turn on his microphone. (laughs) Hello, y'all. Hi. Hey there, y'all. Gee, you don't sound like you're from St. Louis. You you sound like you're from the South, y'all. Sometimes. (laughs) And be... Sure, yeah, I don't... just uh yeah, that that, is this an invitation for you to send me your contact information or email or your so I can touch in once in a while about something. I don't need a large clock of your time. Don't don't worry. But but as oh, you I wish. Was... Okay. No, that's great. I didn't. I I thought we were going to have a talk, and I figured, boy, I better allot some time to this. So, no, you don't need to. Thank do you, Doug. <sighs> okay. <laughs> well, maybe we can have. Seeing as how it's around yesterday's show or the conversations we've been having, maybe we can have the conversation here and everybody can benefit from it. Is there anything we can well, open I'm up in, by way of discussion? I'm going to ask, ask Susan about some of her early comments in the show, just about what she said she'd been listening to certain things. I wanted to, to reference into them. I don't even know exactly what they all were, but... Uh, it's not yeah i don't know i don't know where i would go exactly right now in the show about it all other than just that i i just was seeing early on how the whole playing out of all of this just just represents the 
what's going on in the Middle East, you know, all the dynamics of oh yeah, human behavior, being, non-being, in the macro, you know, out there with just, it's just uh, quite remarkable and, uh, and, and, and also the conversation that went on the day or two before that about defense, in my defenselessness, my safety lies and how, how when we attack, we just perpetuate attack and it's, it's just a, a very interesting, uh, and sad, but, Actually, uh, actually, Doug, the point on that, the point on that lesson from the course is not if I attack, I perpetuate attack, but if I defend, I'm perpetuating attack. Right, defend. Okay. Because the defense itself is sets the stage for the attack to happen. Right. Yes. Yeah. So interesting how that plays out. Back um, oh about three months ago, you know, I've been working on this native species garden, and was sitting outside, just kind of hanging out with the energy of the garden. And there was, for me, there was an opening, and the opening was the way that I saw what was happening, the way I was able to understand it was not that we gathered all these physical things and made something happen here, but that energetically when we were in harmony with the energy of the garden, that that drew in the supply from the invisible realm. If that makes sense, it's it's difficult to put into words. But it it wasn't that all these things had to happen on earth for it to occur, but rather that the energy, when the energy was right, that's what drew the manifestation out of the nothingness so that it could appear here. That's a great concept. Yeah, it does. It it, it does. And of course, these are all concepts that I want to expand and deepen, just like, like the concept about how do you, how, how do you then be defenseless? You know, it's like, it's, it's, I know how Uh, we have an app for that, Doug. It's called forgiveness. <laughs> you forgive as to your defense until there is no defense left in you. And when there is no defense left in you, that will be when defense is replaced with trust. But lots of people talk about God. Oh, God's so great. God's so great. God's so great. But they don't have one iota trust in God. When the, when the chips are up and the, or the stress is up and the chips are down, what they trust in is their rage and their fear and their distrust and their attack. They don't have the, the slightest relationship with God. They're just totally frauding themselves. You know, look at yourself when you're under stress and see what you turn to, and you know what your God is. Yeah. There's yeah. the word. So how do, you, how do you get to be defenseless? It's called forgiveness. You know, there's, a, there's a passage in the scriptures that, that comes to mind. And it, it kind of fits in with the garden, and this was part of what was what I was 
I don't even know. There's not even a word for it. Understanding, experiencing, comprehending, being shown, being taught. I'm not even sure how to explain it. There aren't words for it. But this passage in the scriptures says that those who are in harmony with the law, and remember that law, you know, we started out with a discussion of law, and the world would have us believe, kings would have us believe that he makes the laws. The, the, the rule of the superior is the law. Like, you know, we talk about how we have lawmakers in Washington. Well, there's not a lawmaker in Washington. There's never been a human that's made a law. In Aramaic, law is the way things work. And so one of the promises in the law, you know, regarding farming, and that's why it was part of this experience for me, is what it promises is if you're in harmony with the law, you'll get rain in due season. You won't have a drought. You'll get rain. What does that mean? This is part of the comprehension that I had in that insight that I'm sharing with you. And it was like, oh, when I'm energetically in alignment with the active presence of love and I'm functioning out of love in whatever I do, whether it's I'm cooking my dinner, I'm making a phone call, I'm writing a story, I'm on the phone, I'm, I'm, I'm working in the garden, whatever it is, if I'm in harmony with love, if I'm in harmony with the law, then it's that harmony that brings the rain, that sources the rain in due season. When I fall out of harmony with the law, then... I destroy the conditions that create the rain-induced seasons, and I create trauma in my world. I, I set the stage for the creative process that produces trauma to happen. But Michael, Go ahead, Susan. Question. We're, since we're, you're not just alone in the universe, you are in harmony with the law, but if all the people around you aren't, is it going to rain just in a four-inch patch where you happen to be standing? Well, remember that, you know, let, let's listen to Einstein for a minute. If you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. Exactly. I don't so stand how alone do you... in this. Well, so Mr. My, Jones, my take next would be... Door, okay. My offering would harmony. be... Okay. Let's take a breath. (laughs) So remember, there's this thing called critical mass. Yeshua says a little leavening leavens a whole loaf. I don't have to go out and convert every neighbor to live in love in order to be, for me to be in harmony with law, inspire others, and create a critical mass shift that opens the space for that. But I don't have to go out and happens, fix every mind on the you're planet. You're not going to get the rain. Well, I'm not so sure that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because if you are space and you're part of creating a space and you impact your environment and your circumstance and your community, then you bring yourself you know to me it's it's like you know energy systems don't bring through more energy by efforting they bring through more energy by aligning the deeper each of us comes into harmony the deeper we inspire those who are close to us to be in harmony the more you know i I talked yesterday about that time when 
you know, I believe to do spiritual work, you need to live in poverty and, you know, didn't know if I was going to feed yeah. my kids. And, and I could, I could tell you where I was right on I-95 at Hillsborough Boulevard when that energy shift took place. And it was like, and it was only my mind that changed going down that highway. But, but the energetic vision that I get when I close my eyes and tap into myself driving down that highway was, it was kind of like I was in one notch where, you know, I'm a creator. I live in poverty because I teach spiritual work and that's what happens. And so that's the way it is. And at that instant, when I had that instruction to get off the highway, get a $100 bill and give it away, it was like, the whole energy pattern around me, like literally the whole world shifted, like everybody that I've dealt with ever since. Everybody prior to that, I was a space that was strong enough to withhold from myself any kind of real abundance. Mm. And at that moment, I became a space where something different happened. That's so yes, we're thought. unique and individual and we have a community, and each of us that advances, Yeshua says, well, you know, it, it just takes a little leavening. We don't have to get everybody to do it. Get enough people, and the energy system starts to shift. And Is when that- it does, then energetically we are the space where it comes out of the quantum world into what we call manifestation. Go ahead, mm-hmm. Jeannie. I was just going to say, is that where then the scripture also says that um, you may be the sons of your father who's in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Yeah, the creator, in, in other words, the creator is going to supply only good. That's all there is to it. There is nothing else. And if what the critical mass, quote unquote, good is, we're sinners and we need to suffer and have pain and trauma, then that will be their good. When do we give it up? When do we become the space for something different to manifest? Remember in the Aramaic language, the word manifest means obvious. When does it become obvious to us that, yes, we can step into total, complete trust of the Creator and let go of or forgive every fear, every trepidation, every thought that, oh, oh, my power person is going to show up again at any time and destroy me. Hmm. Well, it happens through forgiveness. It happens through processing out that which blocks my capacity to be in perfect trust, which is the same thing that blocks that which I consider to be good coming to me. Mm. And what we're talking about, when, when, when we look at this, what we're talking about is, remember how the fly comes into the room and doesn't see the fan blade or the TV or the piece of art on the wall or the drawing or the stereo system or the vitamins. The the fly doesn't see that. 
The fly sees infrared light. There's heat. Food. That's the fly's mm. perception. My offering yes. is at this stage, while we're still carrying so much hostility and fear, we're kind of like, you know, the fly is maybe at a level mm, two in the creation on a scale of 100. We're maybe at a level seven, and we're designed to be live functioning at 100. Well, so when they say to Yeshua, okay, okay, wise guy, you got an answer to this? Okay, now tell me. I want to hear it. And what does Yeshua say? There's so many things I want to say to you. You know, the brain cells. And, you know, some of the things I'm tapping, like tapping back into that experience, uh, and that was, well, my kids were four. My son was four. He's 43 now. But tapping back into that, it's like I have to go back to that energetically, and I still can only get a sense of it, and I'm still fumbling and feeble and... disabled in language that could fully explain what it is that I'm working to, to, to describe the experience that I'm talking about. Boy, I really am hearing you. This is good. The idea really, that we're and, and creators, exactly. we're creators of whatever we experience. So I am powerful because I've created my experience of just what I'm experiencing. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Woo! I wonder why and we words, like to do that. And words are a feeble way to explain that at this stage because, again, where the fly is at a two and we're maybe at a seven, we're designed to function at a hundred. And we're trying to comprehend things that the only language that could possibly describe it is a language on level 100. And we got a ways to go before we're going to be able to even start to comprehend what the words would be at a level 100. And meanwhile, you've so, written this piece. I haven't read it yet, but I like how it begins for sure. Yeah. So you're trying to put it into words because it's... We need it. That's the whole thing is to get it to where it becomes comprehensible. It's going to challenge, but also to be to make it acceptable. It's like, and and to bring forward enough understanding to say, here's the tool that's going to do it for you. My words aren't going to do it for you. This article, these that worksheet is going to do it for you. It's going to be your work that will do it for you. And, and the only real teacher that can actually truly directly teach you about it is inside of you. It isn't out here. That's the big mistake of churchianity. Churchianity wants to be the source of it all for everybody. And it can't because the teacher, Isruka, is inside of us. The whole objective to me of what we're doing is to guide people back to that relationship. So breathing with everybody, holding the space. And we're going to get frost in tonight. So if anybody wants to come help me in the garden, that's my job this afternoon. So come wow. help and get, these, get things ready. <laughs> All right, well, we're down to the last yeah. few seconds. Much appreciation for the input and the conversation. Let's carry it on tomorrow. Great.
What are you going to say, Jeannie? I was just going to say I looked up the verse, and it actually says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear to hear it. So uh, it's not just that you can't hear it, but you can't bear to hear it. <laughs> the non-being mind. If, if one were one who's living out of the non-being mind were fully exposed to truth in an instant, they'd be destroyed. They'd be non-functional. The objective here is to bring that higher state that if it were to come in right now would just shatter everything that we think we are. And that would make us non-functional. But to build the brain cells so that step by step we become functional with those higher capacities and higher understandings. So holding a space, I'm surprised the show hasn't cut us off yet because we're a little past time. Everybody, create the best year yet of your eternal life. Let's carry the conversation on tomorrow. Blessings. Appreciate you all. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.